It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These were the words of Jesus when he was criticised by the Pharisees and the teacher of the law for eating and drinking in Levi's house with tax collectors and those that they regarded as sinners. The Pharisees believed spending time with sinners would contaminate them and make them unclean in God's sight. And so they believed that they were honouring God by keeping away from these sorts of people. And many churches have followed that, those same ideas. Encouraging people to isolate themselves from the world and stay away from those who have messed up their lives and who have turned away from God. But Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus didn't die for righteous people. He didn't lay down his life for those who had it all together. When he declared his manifesto in Nazareth, Jesus said this, Luke chapter 4 verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to offer salvation to the spiritually destitute. He came to set free those who were held captive by their sin. He came to open the eyes of those who were spiritually blind to the reality of God. He came to rescue those who were dominated by the forces of evil. He came to declare grace. That God's grace was available to anyone and everyone who needed it. And it was this mission that Jesus commissioned his church to continue. The church is not meant to focus on itself. Like Jesus, it is called to reach out to the sick and to the sinner. The church is called to be a compassionate community. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 3 this morning. Starting at verse 1, down to verse 10 first of all. If you've got a Bible, you can have a look it up. If not, then you just listen along as I read it to you. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. To him. As we saw last week, this church, the early church, was committed to prayer. So it's not surprising that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time. Presumably, along with other Christians, Peter and John were eager to take these opportunities to pray together as a witness and to be a witness to their fellow Jews in the temple. So they were on their way to do something really important. Something really worthwhile. Something God-honoring. Praying in the temple. And yet they were willing to pause their plans. When they saw this man sitting where he was put every day to beg. From those going into the temple courts. This man was simply asking for money. Hoping that the devotion to God of those who came into the temple would move them to give him some charity. But of course Peter and John did something much more amazing. First of all, they stopped. Peter looked straight at him. As did John. They didn't ignore this man. They didn't even just throw a few coins in his direction as they kept on going. Neither did they just say, look, I'll pray for you and walk on. Instead, they stopped and looked straight at him in a look of love. In this simple way, they were declaring that this man was important to them. He was someone of such great value that they were willing to set aside their agendas and give him their full attention. It's been often said that you can spell love with the the letters T-I-M-E. And I think that's becoming increasingly true in today's world where it becomes busier and busier. We've got so many things to do. So if we are going to love people as God has called us to, then we need to be willing to give them time. That's what Jesus did throughout his public ministry. He packed in so much into just three years of public ministry and yet he was willing to give people time. Remember on the way to Jairus' house to see his seriously ill daughter? Jesus stopped, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Why did he do this? Well, so he could speak to the woman 
who had been healed from 12 years of bleeding just when she reached out and touched Jesus' clothes. She'd already been healed, but Jesus wanted to stop and speak to her, to encourage her and to bless her. On the way out of Jericho, when two blind men shouted to him for mercy, Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? And then when in a a much needed break from the demands of ministry with his disciples, the crowd followed him to a solitary place, Jesus stopped. And he put his own needs to one side. Because when he saw, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. So he began teaching them many things. Now, of course, we need to be careful here. If we allowed the needs of other people to always dictate our schedules, then we would never have time to do the really important things like the ones that we were thinking about last week, like growing in God's Word, or spending time with God's people, or worshipping God's Son, or seeking God's presence. Those things are crucial for us to devote time to in our lives. But on the other hand, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then our hearts will be filled with compassion for those around us. And God will lead us to stop, to see people in their need, and then respond to them in loving service. This is what God has called us to do. And this is what God's Spirit within us will move us to do. In compassion, Peter and John stopped. They saw and then they spoke to this man. And in expectation, the man gave them his attention. He expected to receive something from them because he could see that these guys were interested in him. But never for a moment did he expect what was going to happen next. Years later, John wrote in his first letter, 1 John 3 and 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity in him, how can the love of God be in him? If we have God's love in our hearts, then we will share our money and resources with those who are in need. Giving is an essential part of our Christian lives. It was in the early church. In a few weeks' time, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4 and see the stunning generosity of some in that church. Then later in Acts chapter 6, we'll see how this church daily distributed food to widows who were in desperate need. We need to allow our compassion for those in need to open up our wallets in regular giving. That's why we have an offering box at the back of our church there. So that in response to God's love, we can give what he has entrusted to us to support his work and also to reach out in love to those in need. 
That's why this month's ministry offering is going to Tear Fund. One of the Christian aid organizations that work among some of the neediest people in this, in this planet. We need to be willing to share our resources with those people in need. It's an essential part of our Christian lives. But Peter and John didn't have any money. Silver and gold, or gold, I do not have, they said. And I think this is really interesting. Especially in an age where the prosperity gospel is becoming increasingly popular. And where some Christian leaders are quite comfortable to receive massive salaries and live lavish lifestyles. Peter and John were part of the leadership of this growing church. Remember we read in chapter 2 how there was 3,000 added to, that, to the church that day? And it was right for the church to support Peter and John in their ministry. To provide for their needs. But these guys hadn't abused their position in order to get rich. They knew how to use money to serve God. But they didn't seek it for themselves. They knew that Jesus had taught, you cannot serve both God and money. So Peter and John didn't have any money to give. But they gave something far better. But what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. And in taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly his feet and ankles became strong. And for the first time in his life, this man stood. It wasn't just a little improvement. It wasn't a gradual recovery. It was an immediate, full, and miraculous healing of of legs that had never, ever worked. From sitting outside the temple in despair and poverty, he went with them into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God. In compassion, Peter and John ministered to this man in the power of Jesus and his life was never the same again. I don't think it's surprising that when people saw him that they were filled with wonder and amazement. Can you imagine it? Seeing the guy that you'd just passed sitting, begging, knowing that he was lame, he'd been there every single day you'd come to the temple and now he's running into the temple jumping about the place, praising God. This wasn't the end of the story where we stopped this morning in a reading. Because Peter and John didn't only reach out in compassion to heal that day. They also spoke up in compassion and preached. I want to look at verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness 
we had made this man walk. Francis of Assisi is often quoted as saying, whether he said it or not is a, is a separate issue, but he's quoted as saying something like this. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. It rightly reminds us that we need to share the message of Jesus through our actions, through our love, through our care for others. But the reality is that to preach the gospel words are always necessary. If Peter and John had only healed this man, then his legs would have worked. But nobody would have understood how it happened. Nobody would have understood what it meant for them. But these guys were also willing to take the opportunity to point out the one who didn't only have the power to heal broken bodies but who could also save broken lives. And so Peter stepped out of the limelight. He didn't want anyone to focus on them. He took none of the credit for the healing. He didn't want any of the praise. Instead he pointed to Jesus. Verse 13 please. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Just as they had done at Pentecost. In the very city where Jesus had been condemned to death. Peter bravely declared that Jesus was God's servant. The holy and righteous one. The author of life. The conqueror of death. And he declared that it was through Jesus' power that this man had been healed. Look at verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. As you can all see. Peter wanted them to be absolutely sure how this man had been healed. It wasn't through them. They weren't anything special. It was through the power of Jesus. The one who had been killed on a cross and had risen again. But Peter didn't even stop there. Then he called the crowd to respond to this. Look at verse 17, please. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then. And turn to God, so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, Jesus. Peter used the miracle of this man's healing 
to invite the crowd to experience the greater miracle of forgiveness of their sins and of healing of their hearts and of reconciliation to God through faith in Jesus. <clears throat> this was their greatest need. And sharing that message that day was the greatest act of compassion towards him. Especially, as we'll see next week, how much it personally cost them. Sometime before this event, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus and his disciples had come across a man in a kind of similar kind of condition. He too had been struggling through life, even from birth. Not lame from birth, but blind from birth. And they had asked Jesus, when they saw this man blind from birth, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Their initial response to this man and his desperate situation was to turn it into a theological question about blame. Because in their minds, illness and suffering was caused by personal sin. Their only question was whether this man's blindness was through the past sins of the parents or through the future sins of the man. Because somebody has to be to blame for this man's suffering. And un- unfortunately, it's still a common response to suffering today. Suffering is uncomfortable and unsettling. So it challenges our view in this world and how we cope with life. And I think that's why so many times people want to blame someone, anyone, for the suffering in the world. The patient for being ill, or their parents, or doctors for not curing them, or for the government for not providing enough resources, or God for allowing suffering into this world. When we see suffering, we instantly want to blame someone for it. And sadly, even Christians have fallen into this trap, blaming the sufferer for not having enough faith, blaming the church for not Praying enough. But we need to avoid this hurtful and unhelpful response to suffering. Ultimately, of course, we know that mankind as a whole is responsible for the suffering in this world. As it was through sin that suffering entered into the world. Romans chapter 5 says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way death came to all men because all sinned. We live in a a fallen and a sin-cursed world because of mankind's sin as a whole. But there is no direct cause and effect equation for personal suffering or illness. So when Jesus saw this blind man, he didn't apportion blame either to him or to his parents. Instead, he corrected the assumptions of the disciples that they were to blame. 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then he went on to respond to this man's suffering in compassionate and powerful ministry. So here's two responses to suffering in this world. One is to blame someone, anyone, for the suffering. The other is to reach out in compassion and love. And clearly Peter and John had learned from that experience. Because when they came into the temple that day and met that man crippled from birth, there was no theological debate about why it happened. There was no desire to blame him or his parents for his 40 years of disability. Instead, there was heartfelt compassion and powerful ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And so if we are going to be the church that we were meant to be, then we need to respond in compassion to this world. We need to open up our eyes to the suffering and the struggles of people around us. We need to stop and take the time to be with them, even if we've got other important things to do. And we need to minister to them in the power of Jesus and with the gospel of Jesus. What that will look like for each of us as individuals will be different. We're not all going to have the same experience in our ministry. We won't all be able to do exactly what Peter and John did here. Paul wrote that the the, the things that marked an apostle are signs, wonders and miracles. And so to some extent we shouldn't be concerned that we don't have the same experience as Peter and John had that day. Because miracles were one of the ways that God set apart apostles, those who had been personally commissioned by Jesus to lay the foundation of the church. Miracles were one of the ways that God set them apart. So that people could recognise them and their unique role in the life of the church. But that's not to say that Jesus can't do that today. It's certainly not to say that Jesus is not in the business of working in power through his church today. Of course he is. Of course Jesus is still working in power through his people today. And by his Holy Spirit he has specifically gifted us in different ways to minister to the church but also to this world. So listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. 
If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Whatever spiritual gift that we have been given individually as believers in Jesus, whatever role we have in God's family, whatever abilities, whatever opportunities, whatever resources we have received, God wants us to use them to reach out to this world. To express his love and power to people who are in desperate need. To encourage people to come to saving faith in Jesus. And to partner with God in building his kingdom. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick Jesus came to bring healing to broken people and I pray that in compassion and love we will continue to follow in his footsteps and see people experience the healing and saving power of Jesus Jesus